and often we judge ourselves harsher I think than we judge other people but I just kept coming back okay well who am I what am I here for and just having confidence in that as opposed to what's on the outside and what I look like. I'm Katrina Blowers and welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast. As a journalist, speaker and mentor, I know what it's like to have confidence and I also know what it's like to have to find it again after having a panic attack live on television while reading the news. I've interviewed hundreds of high profile people and this is what I know for sure. We all suffer fear, imposter syndrome and self-doubt no matter how shiny our life appears to be. So let's reframe the confidence conversation together and uncover the hacks and secrets to get more of it. Claiming your confidence starts now. Felicity Harley is one of the most recognised, awarded and loved magazine editors in Australia. Now she's poured her wisdom and warmth into a new book. It's all about finding clarity in the chaos and empowerment in the middle of our wonderfully messy lives. In this episode, you'll learn how to overcome the curse of perfectionism, the power of positive self-talk and why having it all isn't all it's cracked up to be. Felicity also shares what it was like to join the WAGS club after marrying the captain of Geelong, the confidence pressure of the Brownlow red carpet, and what it was really like to interview Beyonce. So let's claim our confidence with Felicity Harley. Felicity, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited for our chat. Oh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. We should give people a bit of context that uh, we went to school together back in the day in we Canberra. Did. We did, and you worked at Sports Girl, and you were oh so my gosh. cool working at Sports Girl, I remember. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've got to say, I somehow fluked that job because as a teenager working in Sports Girl, that was a pretty good gig to get. It was, it was. I was always jealous of your amazing clothes that you always wore, Katrina, because <laughs> I could never afford them because you worked there. <laughs> the funny thing is that since then, our careers have taken like a, a similar-ish trajectory in that we both moved to Sydney, we've both followed our dream of working in the media. I've never asked you this, but when did you know that you wanted to be a journalist? Look, I when I finished school, I actually enrolled to do arts um, because I wasn't quite sure of what I really wanted to do. Um, and then and I went travelling for a year and I think it was when I came back and I thought that I was really keen on being a journalist. Like I, I like this whole idea of journalism. And, and in hindsight, it was probably because of my addiction to magazines when I was a teenager buying um, Dolly and Girlfriend when I was 15 and, you know, I was just obsessed with those magazines. Um and so it was probably I love journalism, but I also love the lifestyle side of journalism. So at uni, I was always, I was the one who was doing stories on, I went to a nudist camp and I, um, <laughs> and I, and I went to a morgue and, and obviously going to uni in Canberra, everyone else was going to Parliament House to write their stories. And, and um, so I always knew that I was probably a bit left of centre in that way. But um, yeah, I, I probably that that first year out of uni, I thought, yep, I want to be a journalist, but I want to be a lifestyle journalist. 
When I was at uni, we because uh, I did my first year in Bathurst and then I came back to Canberra to finish my journalism degree and we had to do these radio documentaries and everyone else, as you say, they were doing all the serious stuff. I went to a sex shop in Fishwick and did one on, <laughs> did one on a night, like looking at the peep shows and who went in there and what the women were like who worked inside the peep show booth. And I think my lecturer was truly shocked. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And I hear some politicians used to go through there, so you probably um, you might have got a good scoop. <laughs> blending, the blending the two, what Canberra is best known for, sex shops and uh, politics. <laughs> so your first job, how did you get that? Well, my first job was at Girlfriend Magazine. Um, it was in my final semester at uni. I just saw it advertised in the paper and it was, and I just thought, you know what, I'm, I may as well apply for it. Who knows? I just have to do it. Like if I don't do it, I will question, at least I'll get an interview. If I don't get an interview, at least I've had practice applying for the job. I'll just give it a go. I'll put my hand up. Um, and I'd got an interview. I did this actually made, and I was seeing a dating a graphic designer at the time and he, and we made up a little mini magazine. Um, oh, good move. <laughs> rather than a, um, you know, just a white two-page piece of paper. So I suppose I just thought, okay, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to get their attention straight off the bat? And I did. And I, I went for the interview in Sydney, drove up from Canberra and went for the interview and, and I got the job. So that was how I got my first job at Girlfriend Magazine and I was entertainment editor. That is amazing. So straight away, you would have been interviewing really famous people. Oh, yeah, that was um, Girlfriend Magazine was an amazing job for when I think I was about 22 and it was like a dream for about three years. I, I went there for about three years. I interviewed everyone from Beyonce to Britney to the Backstreet Boys. And you've got to remember, this was the time when boy bands were huge. Everyone was going nuts about NSYNC. I interviewed Robbie Williams. I, I'm trying to think, uh, J-Lo, loads and loads of people. And often I'd sit there in interviews and think, how did I just get here? Like last year I was sitting in, in tutorials and this year I'm interviewing these famous people. So it was, it was lots of fun, a great experience and a great lesson in, um, in confidence really. Yeah, and I want to um, come back a bit later to your interview with Beyonce because you write about that in your new book, Congratulations, which is called Balance and Other BS, (laughs) Um, which I've just, I honestly couldn't put it down. I've just finished reading it and I have already referred it to quite a few of my girlfriends because there's so many gems of wisdom in there. So we'll come back to that story about Beyonce a bit later. But I want to know, were there any other celebrity interviews that really stood out at that time, people who you thought were one way but were a different way in person? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) At the the end of the day, most of them were actually really nice people. Um, You know, Pink, I'm just trying to think, the the women that really stood out or that I connected with were people, were Pink, Gwen Stefani and Beyonce. And I think because I went in thinking, oh, my goodness, these are amazing superstars and really they were genuinely nice people and treated me like like they treat anyone. Mm. I think, you know, it really taught me that you can, at the end of the day, all these these people are just human, just like, like us, and um, you can get nice ones and you can get not very nice ones and, and people that you connect with and others that you don't. 
And it's funny how short-sighted I think some of these celebrities are in that I think perhaps they're not really mindful of, you know, even though they look at us as being perhaps lowly journalists, we are going to repeat those stories because people ask us all the time, who's the nicest person you've interviewed, who's the biggest diva? And so it has a ripple effect for their reputation. It, it absolutely does. And, and you don't, and, you know, and and. I've no I didn't I've interviewed Pink a few times since and a few of these people I've interviewed a number of times and look they wouldn't remember who I am but talking to them again you know it just it makes me want to cover them again you know when I was editor of Women's Health we stuck Pink on the cover a few times because she genuinely had an impact on me at the beginning of my career so I wanted to help and support her. That's so interesting. So from there did you jump straight across or were you poached to Cleo or were how did that job come up? Yeah, so well, I after um, after girlfriend, I decided that I just needed to go travelling again. I still felt young, and I, you know, I think much of my life experience comes from having lived overseas. I've lived overseas twice, um, and spent you know a fair chunk of time over there. So I went and worked in London for a little while, and then I just packed it all in and went and did a ski season in Canada, um, and then I came back and worked. Um, at Who for a year, and then oh, I switched that's into. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> threw Who in there. Um, but then I realised that you know women's mags, and at that time, you know, I got asked this question the other day: Do I regret working for women's mags? Because often they're tainted with a bit of a brush now, as as to being you know disempowering for women. Um, but I I enjoyed my time working for Cleo and then I went to Cosmo. Um, I worked under Mia and then Sarah Wilson at Cosmo because I think at the time we believed that these magazines, you know, there was some good things in these magazines. In hindsight, I think, you know, we did make some poor decisions on certain, whether it be photoshopping or, um, you know, the messages we were selling to young women. But at the time we genuinely believed that we were helping young women Um so yes, and then worked at Cosmo for three years as the deputy editor. So um, before going to Women's Health, so I've kind of done the rounds. I feel like I've worked for every um, every single magazine, and I, I've I almost lived my life through magazines as I got older, as they um, they became relevant to that period in my life. Um, yeah. So yes, that is my and- career history. <laughs> And you, you know, you, your love of travel, your love of outdoors, um, you are incredibly gorgeous and always stylish. However, I wouldn't say that that defines you. And I think when a lot of people think of the magazine industry, they think of that whole Devil Wears Prada type thing. Was it difficult to stay grounded in such a glossy world? Oh, that's very kind. Um, well, no, because I just, I, I suppose I've always lived my life being clear on who I am and what and how you know what sort of person I am on the inside and don't get me wrong it was you know you'd walk into Park Street 54 Park Street which was still ACP back in the Kerry Packer days and there was beautiful women walking in with amazing shoes and amazing clothes and and often I would think oh man I just can never look like that you know not often I wouldn't feel good enough to walk in that door um or I didn't dress properly, or I didn't have the right shoes on or the right hair. But then I just kept reminding myself, no, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here for? Um, what makes me tick? What enriches me? So I, I think I just keep, I kept coming back to that when I didn't feel good enough, or that didn't work in my, you know, when I felt, well, perhaps not confident in those situations. Um, so that's probably how I dealt with that. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. We should add as a bit of a side note, you uh, picked up your husband while working <laughs> on a magazine shoot. <laughs> Tell us yes. that story. Yes, that is a fun story. So, um, so I was um, at Cosmo at the time um, and deputy editor and every year, see, this would never happen now. We did the hottest footballer shoot where, you know, the men got their tops off and posed. Um, I wish we still did it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was fun. It was a good fun. And I was working for Sarah Wilson, of, um, and if you don't know her, she's the I Quit Sugar guru yeah, um, yeah. at the time. And um, she said to me, oh, Fleece, you know, you you do that. I'm going to give you that shoot because, you're, you know, you're not interested in footballers. You don't have any interest in that. <laughs> you know, you're, you'll be the one, the, the one person in this whole office that would just get on with it, do the job, and not get caught up in all the fanfare. And so I, um, I said, okay, I'll do it. And then so I organised all these AFL plays in Melbourne and I flew down and it was just a day shoot. We were in and out. And, um, yes, and then a man called Tom Harley walked in the room. And I had, like, I honestly had picked these footballers based on their looks. Gosh, sounds so vacuous, I know. But um, <laughs> picked, picked them off the um, AFL club websites. So I thought, oh, yeah, he looks hot. He looks hot. He'll do yeah, he looks nice. He's a big star. He's a good footballer. Um, so I did. I had been to one AFL game. I had seen the Swans play once before this. So yes, um, Tom was at the shoot, and uh, we just we just sparked a conversation, and we just got on really well. And then I I left, and I didn't even really give another thought. I thought, oh yeah, he's nice. He's hot. <laughs> Um, he looks good with his shirt on. Yeah. Well, actually, he had his shirt on. He oh, kept his shirt okay. On. Yes, he he um. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He was like, there's one thing I don't want to do, take my shirt off. I said, okay, fine, put your hood on. You know, that'll do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so afterwards he texted me and he said, if you're ever in Melbourne, I'd love to catch up for a beer. Now, I'd never, I hadn't been to Melbourne for oh, five years. And I said, oh, I doubt, I, you know, it's very nice, but I doubt it. Just so happened that I had to go back the next week for work. It's funny what? how it's so serendipitous. Yeah, those things. really um, serendipitous. <laughs> And so um, I thought, oh, why not? I just come out of a, a long relationship, and so we met for a beer, and and you know now we are married with three kids, and um, actually our third date was in Italy. We did this random third date to Italy. That's another story. But um, oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. Um, but now we are married with three children, and he lives in Sydney. And yes, I am very grateful to Cosmo that. And that shoot that it changed the projection of my life. <laughs> and, and talk about, you know, you said you'd been to one AFL game before that. I would say AFL is a pretty big part of your life now. <laughs> yes. So uh, um, at the time, uh, actually, it was after the year after we'd met, Tom went on to um, captain Geelong to two premierships. And then um, he moved up to Sydney and he now is the CEO of the Swans. So I'd say that as part of my our wedding vows, it was you must, must you must enjoy a lot of AFL, you must watch a lot of AFL, your kids are going to play a lot of <laughs> AFL, um, but thankfully I do enjoy AFL. But I think also I can switch off AFL and perhaps that's what Tom also likes, that I can dip into it, but I'm quite happy to switch it off as well. So, um, But I do love it and I do say go Swans. 
Yes, yes. Uh, now, speaking of confidence, that kind of, it wasn't just about being Tom's girlfriend. That kind of, you then had to enter a whole new world of, you know, the WAGS club, I guess, and also going to things like the Brownlows and dressing up and you even hosted the Brownlow um, red carpet coverage one year. So how did you get the confidence? I, I suppose you'd already had a bit of experience with that in terms of um, working in women's magazines with a, a lot of very well-groomed women um, who who do put a lot of focus on their outward appearance. But did you ever feel any pressure associated with that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I um, you know, I think, oh, yeah, yes, 100%. I, I think that, you know, that, that whole wag world and, and it's even amplified so much more since, you know, Tom stopped playing with social media. But it, it there is a pressure um, that comes with going to those events that you want to look good, but I do think you can buy into it and you can or not. Like you can you can get caught up in it. You can get caught up in in um, you know the whole shebang for the brown low, or you can choose to just lay low. Um, but yeah, there was definitely times when you know every I was shaking with nerves before walking that the red carpet at the Brownlow um but I just kept coming back to who I not getting I think the the biggest thing I just reminded myself not to get caught up in what we look like but to get to remember who I am and Mm. you know I'm definitely not the prettiest on the red carpet or um you know if in that way I'm not you know the most famous or or you know often and I and often we judge ourselves harsher, I think, than, you know, we judge other people. But I just kept coming back, okay, well, who am I? What am I here for? What can I, you know, and and just having confidence in that as opposed to what's on the outside and what I look like. And and when I hosted that, the red carpet um, one year, that was a really interesting lesson for me because I, I interviewed lots of these young girls who were getting, who were, Oh, I just there was one girl in particular I remember she she just finished school and she was so nervous and she was worried about her tan and she was art she was and I was as we were preparing for the interview she was like do, like do I look okay am I is my anything sticking out am I too brown and I said you know just forget all that just forget all that and try and focus on why you're here and and having confidence in in who you are and and not about what you look like and so I suppose that through that whole wag thing, I um I just keep keep coming back to that. Yeah, somehow I survived. It's funny that you were giving someone a pep talk on the only like confidence session on the red carpet. I know, <laughs> but you weren't expecting I, that. No, I wasn't, and and I think that yeah, I just and she, I I will never forget that because she um and she was going out. I suppose it depends on you know the player you're going out with. She was going out with a high profile player, and and I think that you know that comes back. You know the pep talk is a great thing, Katrina. Is just giving. And one thing I learned from Tom is that giving other people a pep talk is great, but also giving yourself a pep talk is also important. And and I I that is what I do a lot of the time. Whether whether I walk onto the red carpet for the Brownlow, whether I go on TV as I'm sure you do as well whether I'm speaking or you know whether I'm doing a podcast um just take a few moments to go positive self-talk I can do this you've got to do your best might not be perfect you can still do it and and I think that just kind of sets your energy and your sight straight and off you go 
That's only something that I've recently started doing, like in the last two to three years, funnily enough, because as I was saying to you before we, we pressed record on this, I was filling you in a bit about how I had my panic attack and how I used to think that confidence was my superpower. I just thought it was who I was and I never, I just took it for granted and never kind of questioned that it would ever go away. So it's not until I really lost it and then I had to, um, all the things that I used to feel so confident in like being in front of a camera or standing on stage talking to people. Um, Now I give myself uh, a good sort of five minutes before I do anything, even reading the news, which I do on a weekly basis now. But I still take that time to set my intention for how I want to show up for that bulletin. And the big thing for me is um, in conquering nerves, I've found is to make it not about you, but about the audience. So I think about the stories that I'm telling and lately they have not been good stories. There's been a lot of really distressing things in the news. So I set my intention for, you know, well, I'm going to try and make people feel like no matter what's happening in the world, everything's still going to be okay. And I set my energy for being warm and relatable. And then I also visualize the actual thing going well and that's been a game changer and I know from reading your book you say that you do a similar thing every time you go on tv or you you give a talk yeah yeah I mean I think that you know confidence isn't a personality trait and often we think it is we think oh she's so confident and you know it's something you're born with but confidence is a is a it's a skill it's like a tool and it's something that you you have to work on you have to strengthen and and you have to come you know try different strategies for you to see what will work. And, and, you know, that's a great strategy for you. And and I'm like you before say, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going on sunrise at the moment with COVID, but before COVID, when, when I go on TV, I, you know, say you're going to do your best, you know, just be in that moment, focus on, on being, you know, focus on your energy, how you're feeling, you know, portraying your friend, a friendly message and I think that's so important and and also just a willingness to try and give things a go I think you know it doesn't have to be you know tv or public speaking it can be anything I mean and and I think it's also um oh there's this uh, there's this book that I love called the power of moments and they talk about this and I talk about in my book actually this concept of stretching um and that's giving things a go and risking failure and and um because taking the risk, because that will show and prove to you that next time you will be okay and that you can do it. And and so, and then you can say, well, remember when I did that last time, remember when I showed up at that thing, you know, whether it be showing up at a book club, you know, often we get nervous just in those showing up to social settings by ourselves and especially motherhood. I mean, that can be a big confidence. Um, well, I found it. Yeah, a, a big area of of when I thought I was a bit like you. Oh, I'm pretty confident. I've you know I'm feeling confident and mother, but motherhood just you know knocked me for six in the confidence state. <laughs> so I had to give yeah. myself pep talks before I walked into Woolies with my child because I was so nervous that they'd have a meltdown and and cry in the middle of you know peak hour shopping. And so um, yeah, it's about trying different things, trying different s- skills, and and putting to, into practice what works for you. 
And you talk about um, perfectionism and the curse of perfectionism. And I think that's something I I definitely identify like uh, Brene Brown and and others that you've mentioned in there. I definitely identify as a recovering perfectionist. And I think that for a lot of women, we either use perfectionism as an excuse not to step out of our comfort zone because we're like, no, I'm not going to do that unless it's perfect or until I feel like it's of a good enough standard, I'm not going to put that out into the world. Or we use perfectionism as a way of avoiding judgment or criticism from others. What what kind of insights do you have for anyone out there who struggles a little bit with perfectionism? And I think that's a lot of women. Yeah, I think it is. And, and especially now because we've got, um, you know, the I, I went into, I'd go into this bit in my book about the role of social media and, you know, it's innately human to compare, compare yourselves to others. Um, you know, by, we do that with our friends and, but now we've got social media and suddenly the bar's been lifted ridiculously high and whether we like it or not, and studies show, even if we've got a healthy sense of self-worth, a healthy, healthy self-esteem, if we look at social media, we still will be affected by what we see. So can I just jump in there quickly? It is mind-blowing to me that not it's not just, you know, regular people who suffer from that whole comparisonitis thing. It's people like Kate Hudson and Selena Gomez. And um, in episode one, I interviewed Edwina Bartholomew, all these people who from the outside looking in, you think have got invincible confidence, who have achieved so much, but they even have to take regular social media breaks because they find themselves comparing themselves to other people's seemingly perfect lives. Oh, I mean, if that, yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> that just says it all, doesn't it? doesn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, regular social media breaks are good. But I think we also just have to remind ourselves that that is just lifting that perfectionist bar even higher. I think my, um, you know, one, say when writing my book, for example, I wanted to, to be perfect. Like you just innately want that. Um, but I was given three months to write it because they wanted it out fast um and I really Kate the big my biggest learning out of this was was this um this tagline a few people have said Elizabeth Gilbert um a few other people around have said that done is better than perfect and I think that has that really resonated with me and I use that in I'm I walk around the house saying done is better than perfect and I think it drives everyone mad now but as long as (laughs) Things are done and, and, you know, I did the book. It's done. It's not perfect. It's not how I would love it to be, but it's done. Um, and perhaps that was the the biggest thing I remind myself now when I want something to be, you know, it can even be as simple as hanging out the washing. Like I, if I want, like there's a way that I hang it out that I think is, is perfect, but as long <laughs> as Tom hangs it out and it gets out, at least it's done. It might not be perfect in my eyes, but it's done. And that can, so what I'm saying is this, can apply to just normal everyday tasks or it can apply to bigger things, whether you're wanting to launch a business or, you know, whether you've got a side hustle brewing and you've had it brewing for years and you're still thinking about it, but you're scared of doing it because it's not going to be the perfect launch, you know, to say it's a clothing range. But I want it to be perfect. Well, you know what, just do it because at least you do it. And if you fail, you learn. And if you succeed, you learn. Um, But it's done. And I think that that has that is probably the one thing that resonates most with me right now about the whole perfectionism thing and helping myself when, because I'm like you, Katrina, I fall into that, you know, oh, but this story has to be perfect. 
you know what? Mm. It's 80%. It is fine. It's not going to, you know, it's a baby's not dying or someone, you know, it's done. Let's get it off. It's fine. And um, Elizabeth Gilbert, it's funny you mention her, she has this line in her book, Big Magic, which I just love that book. She talks about perfectionism in terms of creativity and she says there are people in the world who even think the Sistine Chapel is gaudy, so not everyone is going to love what you do, so stop trying to make it perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think this is probably something that my parents – also instilled in me which which you know you don't have to be the best you just have to do the best and actually as part of my book I went and interviewed um this great mindfulness coach she actually for anyone in the AFL um space she actually was um she works with Richmond Football Club and um Dusty Martin who was is their key player he won a Brownlow and he actually um thanked her in the in his speech because um, Richmond won the premiership after 50, 50, 55 years or something and she was basically, you know, she was the one who helped them get over the line and so she's a psychotherapist by trade but she talks a lot about bringing your A game and rather than your B game. She says a lot of the time when we turn up to something, when we do something, we're in our B game, we're always saying, oh, but I'm not doing this. I've got to do this. Oh, why am I doing this? Oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do this. Whereas your A game, you flip your language and you say, I am going to do this. I can do this. I can, you know, it's all I rather than, oh, I'm not. And I think, Mm. um, you know, and she said that was basically what she went in with that. And she works with lots of sports people and and business people is more the, I can do this, just the positive self-talk as opposed to the already defeatist self-talk when you're doing it. Bring your own you game. have to. It's it's funny because your inner critic. It's um and and as you say in the book and and as I've read before, your your brain is hardwired towards negativity negativity, right? And that stems back from caveman era where we're looking for threats in our environment. So it's a really hard thing to override, and you have to be super conscious and super mindful of it. What tips do you have of catching your inner critic early before? you let that um, become an ongoing loop in your head. Yeah, oh, it's hard, isn't it? And then you just, um, I th- then you just, you know, you're already off a, you're already going into a bad space. Um, I think, I mean, you, it is as, you know, it's confidence is a muscle. You have to keep using it. I try and ignore, 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 or just bring my focus back to my strengths. What can I do in this moment? What can I? How can I do my best? Um, and it's just catching yourself before you spiral out of control, um, and that's hard. I mean, and then you can get into a funk, and and um, but I yeah, the self talk thing, and this is something that I've learnt from Tom because he used to um, before a game, lots of positive self talk, um, control your controllables. I think that's another really lovely slogan that a lot of I know sports people use is so what does that mean yeah what does that mean that means focusing on what you can control in this moment rather than worrying about what's happening tomorrow or the next day and or the next day so it does feed back into bringing your a game in many ways so often I think we get so caught up in our own stories that we tell ourselves that aren't true um and you know we get 
let's say you're doing it let's say I'm writing a story and I'm thinking oh I can't do this I've got to get that person's interview I can't do this you know what about this what's going to happen if it goes up and no one reads my story and then they're not going to like it and then I won't get commissioned for another story and so I'm suddenly in this really negative story cycle um right and I can't control any of that but what I can control in this moment is the words on the page who I've interviewed already what I can do about this now um, so can controlling things in your control as opposed to what's going to happen in the future. And, and, um, I, I think that's, I love that, that whole thing. Yeah. Sorry, I just went off on a tangent then. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it. Yeah. It was all really great stuff. How is it living with Tom? Cause he would have had a lot of coaching on that front, on the whole mindset piece. Does he have some good gems of wisdom that he drops in every now and again? Yeah, I mean, Tommy's like a little coach around the house sometimes when I get into a funk, especially, <laughs> especially at sometimes the moment. Sometimes welcome, sometimes yeah. not. <laughs> sometimes annoying. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, I think it, you know, and at the moment in, in COVID with, where we've got so much uncertainty when, especially in the media land, we, you know, we're not sure. I mean, Women, the website that I launched a couple of years ago, just got axed two weeks ago. And last week I was like, what am I going to do? Where's my career going? I mean, you know, and he's like, okay, let's just think about what you can control right now. You're not going to know what's happening in six months' time. Um, I mean, Tom is really big on this self-talk, like often what you tell yourself, the thoughts you think will equal the actions that you do. So mm. I think he is, he is, you've just got to tell yourself positive, uplifting thoughts and then that will turn into the action. So yeah, he's like a little cheerleader around the house. But often, you know, he, he has his lows actually came down this morning and said, oh, I think I'm in a bit of a funk at the moment. Um, and I think that's because he's been working at home and he misses that energy he gets from other people. And so, I don't know, we like kind of cheering each other on. But don't get me wrong, it's all not not cheery a lot of the time. <laughs> Unicorns and rainbows, yeah. <laughs> I get it. That's something I wanted to talk to you about because you've been so honest in your book about the overwhelm of life with three kids and I was just having a chat to a girlfriend before we jumped on this interview and I feel as though the conversations that I have with my girlfriends at the moment all centre around the same thing. You refer to in your book as being a, a female octopus and you do feel like you are just juggling plates incessantly and you, you're a mother, you're trying to be, um, you know, a great employee. Sometimes you have a side hustle, you know, or you feel a lot of pressure for that. You, you, you're just doing everything and then you uh, are really worried about neglecting your partner as well. It's something, you know, you say that we, we are empowered yet we're really disempowered and it is fostering a huge wave of resentfulness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, that's where my book came about because I just obviously working in women's, you know, women's um, publishing for 20 years and and particularly in the last couple of years, I feel like I've just been talking to having more and more conversations about women's overwhelm and the fact that women are just fed up and, and you know, we all, many of us or most of us stamped our ma- feminist manifesto at 18 um, and now we're here and we're like, hang on, is this what it was all cracked up to be? So I question that and I think the whole um, wellness industry, I mean, having, a, you know, running women's health for nine years, I saw the explosion of wellness and and questioning whether that is in fact adding to our overwhelm when it was supposed to be the cure to help us. Um, 
so yes, I do think overwhelm, a lot of us are feeling overwhelmed and, and especially now with, you know, the uncertainty around jobs, if you've lost a job with, um, you know, pay cuts, whatever it may be, um, going in our health. I mean, people are nervous still about going out in, especially if you're in Victoria and other parts of the, of Australia. So I do, we're living in a really uncertain times and, and I think this overwhelm is coming at a cost of mental health. We know, you know, there was this fabulous study um, by Jean Hales, um, the not-for-profit, that showed that majority, I think it was about 15,000 women around Australia aged between 18 and above, 70, you know, the majority of us can't sleep. The majority of us don't have time for ourselves. We, we're um, anxious, we're depressed, and I feel like our well-being as women have risen in the workplace, at home, and, you know, is becoming more empowered. In many ways, we're so disempowered by all that we've got to, to do and our check, you know, the checklists and, and everything that we feel like we need to need to do. So this is kind of, you know, I felt like I could address this and what we could we could do right now in our lives to, to help some of that overwhelm and to relieve some of that stress. And I'm not saying, you know, everyone's overwhelm is different. My overwhelm is different say from yours, Katrina, say from a single mother's, say from, you know, an Indigenous person, like we're, and we shouldn't, we should deal with our own overwhelm first before we look at others. I think the experts told me that all the experts that I interviewed for my book, that was the strong message, but that's not to discount everyone else's overwhelm. We all have Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I do feel like women's wellbeing is at a critical point, um, but I'm not quite sure where it's going to go because I'm not quite sure where our world or our new normal is going to go right now. Yeah, you you do give a lot of really great strategies though for tackling the overwhelm. One of them is confidence and you've described confidence as a power tool to face overwhelm. And another thing that you put in there were some stats that um, that women collated. This one made me feel sad. Only 26% of Australian women feel confident every day. I know it made me feel sad as well like I that was which is why I included there I thought really like why are we are we that hard on ourselves do we not we don't think where's our self-worth gone where's our value and our our self-esteem and our self-assurance and you know what about focusing on your strengths and what you bring into the world and and to your friends to your workplace and and I think if we can get that message out there and and um you know, not not seeing yourself as better than other people, but just coming from a secure place where, you know, where you feel that you're, what you contribute is relevant. Well, you call it living in your truth and this really resonated with me. I loved it. Can you describe what living in your truth means? Yeah, so that, I mean, I look, I, I'm a big Oprah fan, I will admit. <laughs> Who <but> isn't? I, <laughs> she, 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 she talked, um, she, I was around the Me Too movement time and at Oscar she talked a lot about you know standing in your truth and and really that's just being really like we we all know our values I think you know we all know what our values are but that is being really clear on your values at the particular time in your life so you know you I mean I write I probably touch base with mine every six months and you think okay so what what is my focus and I think often I I get caught up in having like a list of 15 values or 15 goals and but I think almost simplicity sometimes is key and um, if you're really clear about what's important 
in your life right this moment, then I think it gives you power and confidence to say no, to put your boundaries up, um, to step back, to put your hand up when things aren't, aren't going well. And, and I think it's interesting actually because I feel that I've been asked a question about this bit in the book so many times and I, it's, it's mm. funny to see what's really resonated with people. Because it's funny because you said I think we all know our values but actually I don't think many of us take the time out to sit there and really think about it. I, I just don't because we, we're all so busy. We're just on the treadmill. And so sitting down, spending an hour, getting really clear on what your values are and then using it kind of like a roadmap for every decision like you, this is what you suggest. You put You use it as a filter through which to put those hard decisions or the things that you think you should do, which I feel, gosh, that's really hard because there are so many things that come at us and we're like, I really should do this because it will advance my career or I should do this because that person is relying on me. But this is kind of like a way through which you can filter that and figure out, well, actually, is this right for me? Am I am I living in my truth? Yeah, exactly. And I think I interviewed you know, celebrities for this book. And one of the things that they all said or I all sensed from them all was that they're really guarded with their time. Um, and that's because they have their values clear and they filter that, um, they filter what they say yes and no to through what their values are. And, and like you just said, so, you know, rather than feeling like, oh, I must make that cake for my, um, you know, sister-in-law's baby shower or I must go and do this and I must do that you know like well no I don't have to do that because that's (laughs) going to take away from the three hours that I have on Saturday morning to sit there and think about my values that I put aside Mm. so I think as women to deal with that overwhelm and to gain confidence um is to be guarded with your time and 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 have and give yourself some space to think about that and some mental space I think it's so important that we do take time out whether from our day, week, month, where every few months, just to really sit and think, um, be clear on your values, clear on you know well who you and and when it comes to confidence, write down what your strengths are and be clear about your strengths too because we've all got them. Another thing that I tell people to do in my workshops is we've all heard of gratitude journals and how amazing they are and there's a lot of science to back that up in how it helps with a positive outlook. Um, I tell people to have a success journal so they can do that off the back of their gratitude journaling if they're doing it already and to write three things down and they can be really small things like I've spoken to a lot of women who sometimes don't even feel confident enough to wear a bright colour to work work or, um, you know, a crazy pair of shoes or to go and introduce themselves to someone in the office who they've admired for a long time, but they feel nervous talking to. So they could be three things, big or small, and you write them down in your journal every day, your success journal. And that is a way of reprogramming your brain, which as we said, is hardwired to negativity and showing your brain evidence that you are that person who does those confident things. Yeah, I love that. What a great idea. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's, it's worked for me. There's actually a, um, I, we wrote a story when I was at Women's Health that just reminded me of that when you were saying that and it was called, instead of um, sitting at the beginning of the year writing, you know, your goals or whatever you do you um, for the year, sit and write what they call is a nectar list and that is for sitting there and writing of your achievements of the past 12 months. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, and 
and just celebrating what you actually did or what you overcame or your successes. And, and so that's a similar thing. Instead of writing, you know, your date, your resolution, your New Year's resolutions, write your nectar list. I actually do it. And I think it's a great way of thinking, yeah, I did that. Hey, yeah, yeah. I, I actually did that. Um, yeah. So similar thing, but yes, I like that success journal. Nice. Now I, I want to go back now because we are getting to the end of our time together. Um, a lot of women look at this particular woman as being the queen of confidence, Beyonce. What was it like to actually meet her? And I know she has also gone public in how she hasn't always had it easy on the confidence front. Yes, I met, um, so I, I interviewed her first when I was at, at Girlfriend and um, oh, I loved her. She was, a, it was Destiny's Charge, she was fronting Destiny's Charge. She was so lovely. I think she gave me a hug. I remember sitting on the vinyl couch. Um, it was middle of summer. I was sweating profusely. Um, <laughs> so just feeling, be cool, Felicity. Be cool. So dishevelled, <laughs> nervous, you know, just a wreck. And she was so nice and awesome and cool and confident. And yeah, but and she was, you know, I, yeah, I was nervous and and but she often she's since come out and said that she has struggled with confidence and particularly when she had a child she you know struggled with being a mom and and I think that's what um she is so good at isn't she she's just so authentic and um you know one of her famous quotes is your self-worth is determined by you and that one has stuck with me because you're the one who is going to change how you feel and how confident you are and obviously you know she's had to go through over a lot of hurdles in that in that space and um she was she was as cool as she looks <laughs> oh that's so good to hear I love yeah. that all right I've got some rapid fire questions to throw at you now and I know you've given us like literally hundreds of hacks during this interview but if someone was to come to you and say that they were struggling with with some self-confidence what would be a quick go-to hack that you would give them for getting more of it in their life I'd give them a big hug <laughs> First. Yes. Um, even in even in these COVID times, I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> I oh, quick fire. Okay, quick, quick. I've got to think about this quick. Um, I would just ask them to list three things that they think they're a bit like your success list. Three things that they love about themselves and why, and then we could talk yeah. about that. That's beautiful, and then that that already gets them in that positive mindset, which you absolutely yeah. need if you want to be more confident. All right, now I'm going to put the um, link in the show notes for your amazing book, and I know you've referenced so many books in your book that that are really great resources. But is there one book that you've read, or a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey? I probably have to come back to that done is better than perfect. I think um, reading that, I mean, I think Liz Gilbert has got it in Big Magic as we just talked about. It's in a few other books. Um, that is the one for me, done is better than perfect. Um, I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> they do. They have it. I found one actually. Do they? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting I it. felt a bit weird walking around with that. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it could be a bit weird and have too many people looking at your chest, which is not what you exactly. want. Exactly. No, I don't uh, have anything there, Katrina. So <laughs> I've breastfed three children. <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah. Uh, now, 
what do you do when you carve out some space in your life? And I know you're really mindful for doing this kind of thing, but what do you do for pure joy? Something that doesn't have an outcome attached to it or a goal, just something for joy, joy for joy's sake. Joy for joy. I go snow skiing. That's ah. my joy. Yeah, that would Where's be your my... favourite place to go? Oh, I have to say Whistler because that's where my sister lives, but obviously we can't go there right now. Um, yeah. But, yes, I that I actually went skiing just before the um, – I went to Aspen on a work trip just before all the um, – the the country lockdown and I stood at the mount on top of the mountain and I said to myself this is pure joy and um <sighs> so I think that you know and acknowledging that more and I've learned to do that more in my life like I like yoga that brings me joy obviously with being with my kids when they're all happy and cuddly and love me that's <laughs> joy. but acknowledging when you're truly feeling emotions and naming the emotion I think it's really for me you know like if I'm feeling awe I'm feeling all right now and I'm feeling joy and and so naming emotions is a good it helps me feel them more or acknowledge that I'm feeling them. Yeah, get get in the moment more. That's a really yeah. good strategy. I'm going to steal that one, please. <laughs> um and finally, what does the future of confidence look like for you? What are you working on in yourself right now that will take you to where you next want to be in your life? Well, I think you know, if I I'd probably just focus on, like at the moment, if I just talk about career, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a bit of a confidence lull because the media world is all, you know, in upheaval. I'm mm. not really sure what my next step is. I mean, I'm so excited about my book, but if I look to the future, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm working at News Corp writing store, you know, across brands that I love. Um, but what would be my next step? I don't know. And that, that makes me feel uneasy. And I, and I've got to come back to being confident and go, okay, I've had all this experience where, what skills do I have that I can use that I can, you know, where, whether it be moving to a different industry or, or so, yeah, I'm probably going to have a few little hiccups in the next 18 months, but you know, I think you just have to throw yourself in and give it a go and see where you see where it takes you. Yeah, and I think there is still an appetite for content. It's just what format or what yep. shape that will take in the future. So I think all of us who've uh, studied journalism or are in that media space are all scratching our heads right now together. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah there's still the content no, is still right. very much yeah. in demand. Yes, Felicity, yes. I can't thank you enough for all the amazing seeds of wisdom you've planted in my brain. And I know that this is going to help so many people. Um, thank you. I'm really, oh, really grateful. You. It was nice to chat. What a breath of fresh air Felicity is for always staying so down to earth and true to herself despite what would have been for so many other people an irresistible pull either into that glossy world of women's mags or the world of wags. I, I just love that Felicity has stayed exactly the same as the girl I was friends with back in high school and seeing her soar now in her career and everything she's done to lift other women up just makes me so happy. You must get your hands on her book, Balance and Other BS. I devoured it in two days. It has really great insights from other fabulous women like Jane Caro, Taria Pitt, and Zoe Foster Blake. It's 
kind of like having a really grounding chat with a group of close girlfriends and it'll definitely make you feel better about tackling your own overwhelm. For everything we've mentioned today, you can find it all in the show notes over at katrinablowers.com. Please let Felicity and I know what's resonated for you in this episode, either at Felicity Harley on Instagram or me at Katrina Blowers or Claiming Your Confidence where I share a whole bunch more confidence tips and tricks. And of course, please subscribe, rate and review to tell the podcast gods that you're loving the content we're putting out. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you so much for listening to Claiming Your Confidence. Your Confidence.